Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. Welcome to the Dead Pundits Society. Now here is your host, Adam Proctor. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Dead Pundit Society. My guest this week is Leslie Lee III. Leslie is a co-host over on Struggle Session Podcast. Uh, he and his co-hosts talk about the intersection of culture, media, gaming, and politics. And so he's the perfect guy to bring on the show to talk to me about Black Panther, which is a blockbuster movie that most of you will have heard of by now. It's won tons of awards, and it's currently being heralded as the bearer of black racial pride and, uh, you know, radical black politics. And my guest and I think that uh, this is a very bad idea for a number of reasons. So we're going to break those down for you throughout the course of the episode. Stay tuned for that. If you haven't seen the movie, Have No Fear, I myself read a number of articles and hot takes that had spoilers, significant spoilers, I should say. And when I saw the movie, I still enjoyed myself very much. I mean, it's a Marvel superhero film, and so it's going to be entertaining. There are going to be fight scenes, and you kind of know how it's going to end, right? Um, so if you haven't seen the movie, I, I, I really think that you can listen to this interview and enjoy it very much. You will not be lost for the majority of the time. And particularly if you're a longtime listener of the show and you're familiar with my anti-essentialism series, you're going to be very familiar with the kind of uh, political narrative that we're trying to weave and the critique that we're trying to make, uh, you know, through the, the movie itself, uh, the, the, you know, the movie plot might be unfamiliar to you, but the political argument will be very familiar. And I think that you will learn a lot from it. So, you know, by all means, if you want to pause the podcast, go out and watch it this week and then come back to the podcast, do that. If you want to listen to the podcast and then go watch the movie, I think there's a lot to be gained from that strategy as well. Uh, in any case, that's your choice. There's going to be a B-side coming out to this uh, uh, week's episode. We're going to be talking more explicitly about race essentialism and Black Panther and the kind of uh, faux radical black politics that we think this movie puts forward and why it's really a step backward uh, from the radical socialist egalitarian project uh, that have, has been represented by the more militant wing of the Black uh, Black Lives Matter movement, I'm thinking of uh, you know the late Erica Garner, who really translated the death of her father in New York City into a uh, you know radical program of social provisioning, catalyzed around the Bernie Sanders movement and such. In any case, that B side is going to be dropping in a couple of days. Going over to Patreon.com/slash Dead Pundits. And join the society for five bucks a month and you'll get access to that B-side and all of the rest of them. Support the New Left Agenda. Join the Patreon. Keep this good stuff coming. This is a fun episode. Uh, we're talking about culture, politics. Uh, we'll get right to it. So uh, without further ado, here's my interview with Leslie Lee III. Enjoy. Black Panther. Marvel's Black Panther. Black Panther. Black Panther. Black Panther. The Black Panther. Black Panther. Black Panther. Black Panther. Black Panther the movie. The Black Panther has been the protector of Wakanda for generations. The mantle passed from warrior to warrior. I am the king. I am the chief. I am the leader that's fighting for peace. You see the squad? I got the key. 
All right, joining me on the line is Leslie Lee the third. Leslie's a host, co-host of Struggle Session Podcast. You all should check that out. It's very funny. Leslie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. So Struggle Session, I've been listening to it for quite a while. It's really taken off. Tell uh, tell the listeners who, who might not be familiar with it, give us a quick pitch. Who are your co-hosts? What kind of stuff do you talk about? How did it start? All that good stuff. All right, cool. So uh, I co-host a show with Jonathan Daniel Brown, an actor. You may know him from Project X, as well as Jack Allison, a screenwriter who uh, wrote the Jimmy Kimmel show, the Oscars, the Emmys, all that good stuff. And basically, we're three leftists who love, you know, pop culture, nerd culture, video games, and all these other things that are not leftist at all, right? And so our show is a, is basically our struggling with... Uh, enjoying all these things, these consumer properties that are owned by, you know, these mega corporations yeah, and yeah. have explicitly like right wing fascist messages like, you know, your average superhero movie might have. So that's what Struggle Session is about. It's about how you can still be a you can be a good leftist and still enjoy watching, you know, uh, Iron Man movie about, you know, uh, a military someone who is from the military industrial complex who just turns himself into a super weapon for imperialism basically it's 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 where you go to purify yourself if you're a leftist if you just like watch wonder woman or captain america you can yes. you can tune in a struggle session and and you can purify your leftist bona fides just just like that it's very nice yeah, it's very it, we're selling indulgences folks uh, patreon.com <laughs> slash struggle session you get uh free free woke points every month that's right catholic church step aside uh the left has uh its own indulgence uh, system this is great i enjoy the show it's very fun Money. I've been listening to it for a while. I'm a patron now. Everybody should check out the Patreon support struggle session, support left podcast. I think it's really important to build the kind of cultural aspect to my, you know, brainy, nerdy uh, kind of approach that I take here in the Dead Punnett Society most weeks. Yeah. And what we want to do is like, as opposed to instead of just like, you know, talking about culture for leftists, we also want to talk about culture as leftists. Right. We we have subscribers who like weren't, you know, really political. They just saw that we were talking about uh, Sonic the Hedgehog or whatever. And then they, then they discovered us and then we're like, hey, I started listening to you guys. And then I heard this. You mentioned this little podcast called Chapel Trap House. And I started listening to them and so on and so forth. And it's important because like in all all these spaces where if you're going on YouTube and watching, you know, someone talk about video games or comic books or whatever, at best you'll get like a wishy-washy Democrat talking about it and whatever politics they have will reflect that and be mentioned there at worst. And is often the case you get like outright, you know, racist and fascist and some of the most popular uh, people talking about, you know, video games are, you know, far, far right wing scumbags and the left yeah, yeah. is just like absent from this conversation so when you have nothing but liberals and the far right like we, the leftists need we need to play the game we need to uh, try and uh, uh, make moves in these spaces as well or else we're going to get pushed out that's very true i mean you know what there, there are two problems here like the first problem is a lot of people kind of get consumed with left politics 
And like, you know, I, I you know, I'm kind of, I'm hating here. It's fine. Because I, but I can say this because I used to be one of those people. I'm, 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 I talk about this on my show from time to time. Like, I think the impulse is when you first find socialism and assuming you're very kind of enthralled with the idea of social justice, egalitarianism, maybe Marx, you know, all the histories, like socialism kind of becomes your hobby. Yes. And I see this, I see this in DSA now, right? Because I know it because I lived it, you know, uh, you know, five, 10, 10 years ago where socialism and just kind of like it becomes the thing you do. Right. And 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 too many of these people don't really have hobbies. They don't really see themselves as engaging with like normies. Right. Like just the things that normal people consume, like in their daily lives. So I think that's the first problem. First, you know, if you don't have hobbies, people go get some fucking hobbies. (laughs) The second problem is that when we do have hobbies as socialists, we don't we don't kind of like, you know, plant the flag. You know, in in terms of of, of of having those hobbies, if you like to go out and garden, I don't know, man, convince the other people who garden to be socialists, right? So I, anyway, I dig what you're doing. I think yeah. it's really fantastic. It's important. Yeah, it's it's really cool because like if you can, if we can reach people through these other means that aren't explicitly political, that's just like another, you know, tool we have as leftists to influence the world, to shape the world, to talk about culture. I, I feel like a lot of, you know, leftists, their approach to it is to try and find the movie or the book or the song or the artist or the person that's already, you know, espousing the views that they already agree with and kind of latch on to that and crap on everything else. But like, people like all that stuff you're crapping on like you're missing like 99 percent of all art that isn't explicitly leftist in america you know you got you got to engage with that as a leftist and say hey you can still enjoy some of this garbage stuff you can still enjoy a movie uh with starring you know a right winger and it's okay and you can still be a leftist you, you just have to talk about it and have your little struggle session and it's all good <laughs> nice pitch yeah no that's, that's just so true there's, there's a lot of like uh misanthropy that sort of uh you know it's sort of thinly veiled uh misanthropy i would say in terms of just despising like humanity and, and just a general populace you know uh that, that that can slip in really easily when you first kind of become a socialist when you have that kind of newbie rush that you get you know when you when you first uh dive into this world head first so hopefully we're going to disabuse some people of that. I don't think a lot of my listeners str- uh, struggle from that, but but they should uh, sh- you know have some struggle sessions with you guys nonetheless. So we're going to talk about Black Panther. The first question I have to address here, and I, I addressed it a little bit in my intro, so I'll, I'll kind of gloss over it, and, and I'd like to get your take too. Is you know the question is Adam, why the fuck do we need another hot take on Black Panther? Yeah, <laughs> you know what is it? That you're going to do that all these, you know, I got it on my desk right now, you know, and, and on the other side of my microphone between me and my computer, I've got like 10 articles printed, you know, and that's just 10 of the best ones, I think, you know, uh, yours being on the top. Oh, thank you very much. You know, your piece, it came out in uh, on Alternate. I'll link to it in the show notes. That was back on February 26th. It's called, Did Anyone Else Pick Up on the Disturbing Messages in Marvel's Black Panther? I don't. I guess that's probably not your title, but that's a pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good now, It's one. very subtle. I, I liked it. I, li- I liked it. That wasn't a title I would have come up with, but, like, it, it, it got people to click without, like, scaring them. So I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it slides in a, it slides in a uh, uh, 
you know, a radical message without just kind of seeming like it's going to be too hostile. You know, it's good. But but point is, there's a lot. There's been a lot of hot air and and, and you know, good and bad takes. I would say uh, a lot of podcasts, almost every podcast, is disgusted by now. So why in the hell do I think I can do it differently? Well, I want to talk. I want to pick up on some of the threads that my anti-essentialism series, uh, you know, sort of uh, laid down, and I want to address. Um, you know, some of the issues that you raise in your article, but I also want to think a little bit about kind of the assumptions of sort of racialized politics, uh, culture and representation and all these types of things. And you get at that in your piece quite explicitly. Um, tell us a little bit about your piece and, and, and maybe what you think is missing from the commentary uh, that has been, you know, sort of spilled in the past uh, couple of weeks about Black Panther. So my piece really started from um, what my thoughts that I had leaving, walking from the movie theater, like immediately. Like I was extremely troubled um, by the film because I, I, I think one of the like the main things that bothered me was so this was a movie sold on the premise of being you know of black ra- radicalism, the aesthetic of black radicalism um it was called black panther now that is technically a coincidence but it's one they leaned into um there was a gil scott heron song in the trailer you know this was not an accident this this they had a whole room full of people deciding on who was going what song they were going to use in the trailer and they chose um that one uh, tell, tell the audience who uh gil was and, and and why that's such a fucking travesty you know, you know a, a <laughs> radical poet and they quote his uh they use his lines from a uh a, a poem song called uh the revolution will not be televised now you could read this as one way as being you know i'm sorry man i'm sorry you could read this as like a uh ironic like take like this is someone in in disney trying to you know trying to warn us that no this movie is not revolutionary but i don't really think that was i think they were trying to actually tell us well, those old revol- that when Gil was around, that revolution would be televised. But the revolution now is because we heard his words and we understand it, and that's why we made this two hundred million dollar uh, movie because because we get it. Uh, Disney uh, gets it, and um, people back then didn't. And so, you know, they sold it on this black radical ideal, this aesthetic, as well as this idea of like black beauty, like like black black people as. I don't want to say objective objectification of black people. I don't want to use the term black bodies, but like I'm, but like essentially that, like, so you have, yeah, like, like you're seeing so many, I've never seen so many black people on screen, so many dark skinned black people on screen, et cetera, et cetera. But the, at the end of the film, it's like all those black people hacking each other to death in order to stop a black radical. And like that. And so that's just like the worst of all worlds for this type of film whose market that in, in, at least uh, this type of film that's markets itself as being a celebration of blackness to have to end with a bunch of black people, uh, black folks killing each other to not be radical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's 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 a pretty good summation of the article. Um, I'm assuming two things. I'm assuming that everybody has seen the movie. I'm assuming that everybody has read your hot take. I don't want to call it. yours is more of a digested take. I think all of them are kind of pretty digested at this point. I mean, hell, it's been like three, four weeks by now. Yeah. Um, these are these these concerns and the, the positions are quite uh, well rehearsed and very solidified. Uh, you had a spirited debate on your show. Uh, between yourself and Brianna Greyjoy and uh, T from Champagne Sharks was on there as well, picking up your end. And, uh, you know, it's safe. 
safe to say Brianna has a different kind of take on what you just said. And so people should listen to that, too, to kind of get yes. the other side of the story, I would say. Yeah, I would say I don't want to speak for Brie, but I would say like so there's a, a few people because there's a few pe- I think mom, Michael, um, a few people had like more positive takes on the on the movie including on the left even uh benjamin dixon because uh, shout out to him um he had a more positive take on it but i would say ultimately it's a little bit it's more about optimism it's about okay what's going to come with the next movie what the next film is going to be and if the next film does turn out the way that uh Bree thinks it will then she will be justified in her optimism so i don't want to uh degrade her uh position on it but i but I feel like we've kind of seen this play out before, and I don't think the next Black Panther movie is going is going to suddenly be uh, the first ever hyper black radical Disney film, just like the uh, first Black Panther movie was. It's just I just don't see foresee that happening. But um, keep hope alive, I guess. Right. So for f- folks who don't know, uh, this is kind of the origin story of the Black Panther. It's meant to kind of be a way of rewinding. Um, the kind of series and the way that, 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 uh, that they've done with, with many other, uh, similar series and characters in the, uh, in the universe, I would say in the past, well, how, how long has that been going on? Like at least three, four years now, that's been a real thing. These kind of, uh, origin stories. Like it went longer than that. Like that's actually a problem that comic book fans have been complaining about for a while that you shouldn't need by now, if you're going to make a new Spider-Man movie, or a new Batman movie, you shouldn't need to tell their original story. You should just mm-hmm. be able to start them fighting crime and kicking ass. Like Blade does not the Blade the original story in Blade is like sixty seconds, right? It just That's starts. It just, it just starts. He's a baby, and then he's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and so when people talk about, oh, this is the origin of Black Panther, I'm like, why are you spending two hundred million dollars on this when? We already got a pretty good origin in uh, Civil War. Like we found out who he was, why he's mad. He like I thought we knew mostly everything we needed to know about Black Panther, and we could just kind of jump in to an adventure um, with him. But instead, instead we have this very like almost and it's like a dual origin story because we also get Killmonger, uh, who's one of Black Panther's main villains, and he takes a lot of it. And there's a lot of characters in this movie. It's almost like a TV show where it's like there's not one main character. There's like five of them who all have arcs and stuff. So that was that's kind of like a structural issue I had with the movie. Like it didn't need to be a origin story. We've already seen that. We already know who Black Panther is. All these characters are were good and interesting, but maybe not necessarily. Uh, necessary um, for a uh, for this particular film yeah right right and I mean it's it's funny as an origin story that they would have a flashback to Civil War right yeah I mean there was that that was the kind of like a flashback about about uh, you know um, the death of his father or yes, whatever yeah even as an origin story it's kind of funny how it's like well that's weird like you know, I don't know. Like, you don't see that in other origin stories. Yeah, right? they're, they're more the, true to the, the <laughs> to the linear, you know, uh, nature of the narrative. I would say so. Yeah, a flashback to well, origin with a flashback. I don't think I don't know if that's ever been done before on film, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was watching it with somebody, and actually, you know, she had mentioned that that she it took her about 10 minutes to realize that that was actually a flashback from the other movie because yeah. <laughs> she wasn't expecting to see 
an allusion to another movie or flashback, you know, uh, in, in an origin story, like, like the way that it was presented. But anyway, we'll put that kind of like more pedantic notion of, you know, <laughs> criticism aside, although it's, it's kind of odd, but let's, let's backtrack. So we started right in the thick of things. I asked you a very complicated question and we, we, we nailed it, I think, but I want to start from the very beginning. The reason why I wanted to bring you on is because not only do you have great politics, uh, not only do you follow this stuff, you know, the connection between cultural representation, culture and socialism and all that stuff. But you yourself, uh, I would say it's safe to say you are quite the comic book nerd. Is that correct? Uh, I, that's fair. That's fair. I, before I started this podcast, I rejected the term nerd and geek, but I have no choice now. <laughs> I think it's gotten cool again, though. Yeah, it's, got, mean, it's gotten cool. And for a while there, it was just like it meant that you bought a lot of Funko Pops. <laughs> 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 but but, but now, now, now I've accepted it. I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, I got to tell you, like when I talk about this movie and actually I'm about to expose myself here in the coming discussion, it's like, actually, I, I didn't grow up really paying a whole lot of attention to comic books. And now I, I, I kind of feel like the outsider. Like, I feel like maybe I shouldn't have spent all that time playing sports and in the gym. Like, maybe I should. <laughs> maybe I should have, like, you know, been in my room reading comic books and I'd be a lot cooler these days. And, you know, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, but it's funny that you start there because, right, even if you had been reading comic books at the t- at that time you wouldn't know much about black panther because uh, that, oh yeah because yeah, that's yeah. the because that's the the trick that the disney kind of pulled off with is the coup that disney and marvel have pulled off in the past five six years like they've kind of rewritten black panther as being de- the definitive black superhero but when i was growing up uh, and Breach said this herself like he was like the affirmative action one he was like okay y'all gotta have a black one here's black panther and by the time he i was, was like the black gi joe yeah yeah right? and, and by the time i was around there was a lot of other there was a lot of black superheroes that were you know cooler and better and better used and better written there were there were a lot of them so it didn't feel like i need like spawn was around and he he was the number one comic at the time and that was a black it was a black guy who was a black superhero, Al Simmons. So I didn't really, you know, think about Black Panther like at all when I was like at the height of my, you know, adolescent nerddom. He just he didn't rate at all as far they had a whole like subline of DC called Milestone where it was like it was took place in like a black planet. Like no, there was no, like no white people in any of the like five or six books that came out. So there was so much uh, blackness in, in comics at the time. And Black Panther was just irrelevant. But fast forward, maybe 10 years after that, in a, a, a writer called Christopher Priest kind of said uh, he's a black writer, excellent, one of the best writers in the industry who actually left because he got pigeonholed into being a black writer. He's a, a fascinating uh, story in its own right, but he his thing was like I'm tight. I'm if I'm if you're going to make me write Black Panther, right? I'm going to undo a lot of the stuff that's happened to him in the past because by that point he had become like a joke, the guy who get knocked out at the beginning of the fight. Even though when he was when he was initially introduced, he was like you know a very powerful, very very noble, very capable character, basically Marvel's. Um, Batman but so when Christopher Priest took him back he made you know T'Challa you know super hyper intelligent made him an excellent fighter very skilled made him uh, almost that he made him so powerful and so aloof that he could not be the main character of the book he actually had to create a white uh white character called every K Ross in order to be to the POV character because you could because no one reading the comic uh is smart as as smart as T'Challa Right. So you had he had to have like a white, you know, kind 
like he uh, he described him as basically as Chandler from Friends who works for the State Department, who's like an attache <laughs> uh, to um, T'Challa. Now I, we'll get into this later, but that character Everett K. Wallace, who is this you know joke um, government lackey who gets in the comic gets chased around by Bill Clinton with a hockey stick while Bill Clinton's in his underwear, is um, <laughs> in the movie is turned into an FBI uh, no excuse me a CIA agent so that's an interesting uh change to turn a comedic character into a super spy cia agent uh who helps uh save wakanda or whatever but you know when you uh, priests rehabilitate black panther and turn them into an actual legitimate superhero and then marvel and dc have kind of made him into again the black superhero he was he was the first black superhero but for decades that didn't mean anything to anybody least of all little black kids who are reading comic books right 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 so let's take one step back even further uh you know folks i think might this will not be immediately apparent to to a lot of people in my audience but you know black panther particularly in our era where you're seeing like you like you mentioned earlier this kind of hyper aestheticization of black power uh, politics that we're seeing, you know, with Beyonce, as you mentioned in your article at the Super Bowl halftime show, you're seeing the resurgence of the black power fist, the Afro natural hair, all these types of things that, that sort of go back to the black power era in 1960s. Now, whether or not they carry forth that legacy in, in the right way is always up for debate, I would say. Uh, <laughs> but, um, what is the origin of this Black Panther, you know, comic book? Because one of the articles I read, I'm trying to find, I can't remember which take it was, but the author, you know, made light of the fact that uh, the creators of Black Panther uh, created this character, introduced him into the universe three months before Huey Newton and Bobby Seale met up, you know, in a in a in a coffee shop somewhere and founded the Black Panther Party. So this isn't an immediate kind of allegory to the Black Panther Party as such, is it? Yeah. So it's so funny because like it, it they did Black Panther does predate um, <laughs> the Black Panther Party, but they they have no real relation whatsoever because it predated only by a few months, right? So it's it wasn't like you know they would have heard of this comic book character. It wasn't like he was popular for like a year or two. It was just you know Black Panther, like it's just a thing that sounds cool. And so it was created by you know Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, two you know legendary uh, comic fi- figures. Stan Lee, who you see in every Marvel movie, and who's still getting paid, <laughs> yeah, and Jack yeah, Kirby, yeah. who got completely screwed out of all his creations, more or less. Um, but yeah, so they created him, and there was there's kind of a problem with Black Panther that a lot of people have you know there's a bug that people have misinterpreted as a feature, right? So Black Panther is the first black superhero now what does that mean is he's not a black american he's not a black guy from britain he's not haitian he's not he's not and he's not even uh from any real country in africa he's from this mystical this fictional land called wakanda and that's always kind of bothered me to have you know two white um uh, I, I don't want to call them racist, but you know, this was like the 1960s. Like they're going to be, they have some racist ideas. Like what, what, like what, what can they do? What, like, so I don't really expect too much of Stanley and Jack Kirby in this re- regard, but at the end of the day, it's like they couldn't conceive of a black American 
superhero or even a black person from any real country who could be as noble and powerful and as intelligent as uh, T'Challa is. So they had to invent an entire uh, country in Africa in order to do it. Like, so that always, for me, that always is kind of a sore spot when it comes to Wakanda, when it comes to T'Challa, the character, because it, it comes from a place that is influenced by, you know, racism and white supremacy, like this idea that black people just aren't good enough to be superheroes. And literally they weren't good enough to believe black uh, um, superheroes until Black Panther and still, you know what? You're still not quite good enough. At least not real black people aren't good enough. We have to invent this other version of blackness that doesn't exist in our world or any other. I think you're absolutely right on. I mean, there's no question that criticism is is uh uh you know it's it's unassailable, I would say. One way to push back on that in that moment anyway, like say in 1968 or 66 rather, would be to say that wasn't that kind of a typical sort of story though, that these figures are otherworldly. Right. They come from other planets. They come from, uh, you know, these mythical undersea or, you know, uh, sky up in the clouds or somewhere else. Isn't isn't that kind of typical for the kind of superhero uh, universe that that Black Panther sort of uh, came out of in that moment? It's not atypical, but it's not so it's not so common that it doesn't stand out when it's like the first black guy. Like it's not, it's not like every superhero like comes from a different planet or, or Krypton or something. Some of them like, are just kind of normal people. Right? Yeah. Like that's kind of the, that's kind of the appeal. Yeah, yeah. Like that is the appeal. Like a lot of them are just normal people who get yeah. hit by lightning or whatever. So it wasn't always, so there's, so that's a fair, you know, thing to like, you know, kind of say like, okay, maybe Jack Kirby and Stanley aren't super racist, but it's still kind of, rubs me in the wrong way especially so and it's less them it's more how people talk about wakanda like now without even acknowledging that like that's an issue it's like that's where i was gonna go yeah yeah because i wanted i wanted to try to present a well-rounded sort of uh, i wanted to push back a little bit even though i don't necessarily agree with that uh criticism i just i don't want to be accused of not not challenging you or producing a well-rounded account but what i was going to say next is just that right like let's just take it let's just take them at their word right that okay yeah a lot of superheroes have these otherworldly, uh, you know, upbringings, origins, whatever. And so Black Panther is just kind of in that lineage. Right. Yeah. Uh, but 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 we what we have to say now is here's what kind of like, you know, and and, and, and all due respect to, to Brianna uh, Joy Gray, who's brilliant and, and, all, and everyone else who, uh, you know, who has argued in favor of this movie in a variety of ways. But the thing that kills me and the reason why I wanted to do this episode in the first place Let's just say that everything they say about the movie is true. Let's just let's say we just grant them almost all of their interpretive kind of uh, uh, arguments about the movie and the the, the well intentioned you know nature of it and, and and the potential sort of political radicalism that's embedded in it. There's no question that like this is a particular kind of intervention and a particular kind of political. Uh, moment in in the in the in the world of kind of you know uh, 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 racial politics and neoliberalism and all the rest of it and so what you you can't say that like their hands were tied because of the past you can't because it's you know why would they have these kind of like 
overtures, as you say, the Gil Scott Heron, right? Uh, these overtures to black power, to the African uh, dress and culture, um, that quips they make about colonizers, these kind of like, you know, comedic laugh moments. Oh, man, that's so I wish that's the worst part of this film is that now everybody like that's the new Becky. It's, it's yeah. calling people colonizers. I'm like, it's just embarrassing, folks. Come on. Come. Well, we. I mean, my point is, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel kind of unfocused in the point I'm trying to make because really I'm going to we're going to lay this out throughout the course of the whole episode. I'm trying to sum it up in like 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is like you can't you can't say, but it's just a movie or but that's just the way the comic book series goes. Yes. Or it's just a Disney movie. You can't say that. And at the same time give them the kind of freedom and the leeway to appropriate all of these radical lineages and heritages and symbols and artifacts. So you just, my point is even if all of our, uh, <laughs> all of our interpretive opponents, you know, I mean, shit, man, we're all socialists. We're all lefties, you know, it's all love. But even if all of our interpretive opponents uh, were correct, it seems to me that you still can't have it both ways. Now I'm rambling. I'm going to shut the hell up. So, well, I mean, what, what do you, what do you make, of that kind of the, the the actual intervention that the movie is making in that moment. Yeah, so I I don't I think saying it's just a Disney movie is um is is a dodge that really even Disney doesn't try to do. Like they promoted this as uh, a as an act of black radicalism that wasn't like I, I'm very careful about you know assigning who's promoting the movie as as such as who's doing what and you know they put gil scott heron in it there's you know chadwick boseman is on the cover of rolling stone um the way revolutionary and radical are the terms that they describe his the black panther the superhero those words would not be on that magazine if they if disney didn't want them to be there like like straight up like they would not allow that if they didn't want so they're using you know these ideas of black power and black culture and black radicalism to make themselves literally a billion dollars so they have they so they can be called into account on you know black radical and black revolutionary grounds like you can't have it both ways now there's only and to be fair and, and to be clear i should say um like us talking shit about black panther isn't going to take that billion dollars away disney <laughs> no, bob, don't worry bob Iger is still going to have all his money no matter those how. mortgages and those yachts are already paid for by now but you know what are you gonna do yeah like they, we're not going to be able to we're not going to be able to reach in their pockets and take it back but at least i want people like what what's really I, what I really liked about this discussion is that all the, for lack of a better term, normies who saw the tweets and the articles and whatever and said, you know what? You kind of have a point. Like the fact that I can get like just regular folk, you know, who maybe who aren't necessarily black radicals or black revolutionaries, at least not activated ones who aren't activated leftists to understand the problems of this film and say, you know what? That is a point. I, I, I didn't, I thought about that when the film, I didn't want to say anything because I thought people would be mad or whatever like that, that, you know, gives me like joy, like that hardens me just, it, it just to help, you know, cause I mean, that's kind of why I do struggle session. Part of it. Another part of it is like you can talk about culture in a way that explains, you know, 
these leftist ideas and principles to people in a way that they that they can take better than just quoting Marx at them. Right. And so if we can use this movie as a jumping off point to do that, then I'm sorry, you can't just say it's the Disney movie because it's more to us now, too. Even the people who are detracting the film, it's become bigger than just a Disney movie. And I don't know if on the whole that's a good thing, but uh, I think we're making the best of it. Right, right. I think, I mean, I agree with you. I think, you know, even if you, even if you want to uphold the the good parts of the movie, you really miss an opportunity to draw out those distinctions. If you do just kind of uh, default to the, it's just a movie, it's just a comic book, it's just Disney, what do you expect? Um, I, I think it's unfair for some of our opponents to say that we're pulling that classical, like Marxian cultural faux pas, which is to just like judge everything you see as like insufficiently Marxist. Oh no, <laughs> you know no, 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 not at all. No. And, that, and see, and and that's one thing I I I, I wanted to get, kind of get across in the article is like you if judging this movie by the standards of just like other superhero movies like even like wonder woman like if you if you put a radical lens on wonder woman versus black panther like one so i I guess we should talk about the plot a little bit so killmonger uh basically he wants to take all the technology and power that wakanda has give it to um uh Wakandan um, spies around the world so that they can stage a worldwide revolution of the oppressed against the oppressor. That's the basic plot of the movie to take the most powerful weapons that this fancy country has, bring it to the world so that they can uh, fight oppression. Because previously Wakanda had been to t- say what what was kind of the status quo for Wakanda. So, like it, this really bother this really kind of bothers me. I'm, I I don't know if I can express why completely, but like. Wakanda pretends to be a third world third world country with no money and no technology and it, well in reality they're supposed to be a tech utopia uh that's not really the filmmakers the CGI company didn't really get that across it kind of just looked like a less cool dubai for the most part <laughs> but it's supposed to be like this super technologically advanced country and it just hides its true nature uh from the rest rest of the world so that you know because because that's the way they've been doing it and and it's worked out for them so Killmonger wants to take all that technology bring it out into the world bring it out to oppress people across the world and you know uh say and, and fight the oppressors now you look at wonder woman it's almost the same plot except it's wonder woman who's killmonger right like what yeah, she yeah. literally does yeah. is she takes the most powerful weapons the amazons have this fancy island that's just divorced from the world the first time the very first time she hears about she sees an oppressed uh person or in this case it's an oppressed blonde-eyed uh blue-haired extremely handsome white man named chris pine but the first time she sees him in distress she steals the most powerful weapons that the amazons have and goes out in the world to fight oppression like and that's not like an uncommon thing in superhero movies and sci-fi movies like fighting oppression at any cost is like kind of the thing and there's also like a kind of a trope in these type of movies where the 
the you have the radical, uh, at least what we would, if you're a Marxist, you think of the radical hero who wants to do this, but, and they need help from, you know, in Star Wars, it's like Cloud City. When, uh, when Han Solo goes up to Lando, he's like, I need your help. And Lando's like, hey, you know, I'm doing fine just here. The Imperials leave me alone. Yada, yada, yada. And like, Lando is basically like the Wakandans, right? Like, it's that, I don't need no trouble trope. Yeah, I don't need. <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't need no trouble here. You know, that, yeah, that, yeah. It's every movie. It's a, there's some version of that. Right? Yeah, and in every movie, eventually the Lando guy comes around and helps the radical. In Black Panther, Lando kills uh, Han Solo because <laughs> at the end, and like that, like that's just so weird. Like, it, like I, I phrased it, and and people say, "Oh well, you know, there's a lot of nuance in Black Panther that you don't see in these other movies." I'm like, "All right, if you want to be nuanced, be nuanced in one of the white movies first, and then do it in the black radical movie that you're selling." Right? Like, like we, Captain America, the Captain America before Civil War, um, the Winter Soldier, like he destroys the U.S. drone program, right? Like he just, like single handedly, like he's crashing, like all the he hears about drones, he's like, this is not right, and he just destroys them, like he rips it in part in half, like he he throws ships on the cities. He doesn't care. He does whatever it takes because he sees something not right and he sees oppression coming and he fights no matter what. When but when it's Black Panther, it's like whoa, whoa, hold up a minute, okay? <laughs> like so, when you have Black Panther be less radical than Captain America, I think that's just <laughs> an essential problem with everything. Really? You're you're 100% correct. And I mean, to to take the point even further, right? Like we say, like, this is not just a movie. This isn't just Disney. This exists in a political and historical context, which in this particular instance is, is, is a notion of sort of mainstream liberalism. Forget about the racists. Forget about the, the white, the blatant white supremacists and the alt-right and all the rest of them. We have a history in this country where mainstream liberalism sees it as its job to tamp down radicalism in the black political community, right? In the black political rhetoric to reward those who have kind of go along, get along uh, strategies to reimagine and reinvent and revise uh, those like Dr. King and even hell Malcolm X these days and Gil Scott Heron and and all these other types as like, you know, uh, 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 you know, completely sanitizing their radical and revolutionary aspects and commodifying them as people. Um, so you know, that that's the context, that's the history that we're coming out of here. And so what you talk about there in the terms of the differences and why wouldn't Disney and the Marvel Universe allow Black Panther to be the kind of movie that these other more sort of like majority white movies are, that's troubling because it seems to be just another example of the sanitization is that a word? Fuck it. No, it is. The sanitization of <laughs> radical black politics. Right. Yeah, like so and and the thing is, like, they could have avoided all of this, right? That's another thing that is just a movie thing. In the comic books, Killmonger is a bad guy, not because he's a hardline black radical. He's a bad guy because he's a capitalist. He's a bad guy because he wants to bring Coca-Cola and Disney to Wakanda, right? So that was a deliberate change on their part to make him a guy who wants to free the oppressed and like as a black radical now i uh, like a lot of people have said and i I don't outright dismiss this that like killmonger 
is supposed to be like Kugler's hero of the film. But the fact is that Kugler is not the director of this film. Disney is. He's just cast as the director. And there's 30 or 40 people who who basically had to agree on the final product. So that's why it's kind of a messy and mess and why Killmonger comes across as so heroic in the beginning and then becomes a generic bad guy by the end. So I hear that. But like at the end of the day, I would have rather them just have like they could have just had Black Panther and left out all the black radical aspect, left out all the political aspect and just do it like as a straight up, you know, superhero beat em up movie. Because at least if you do that, then you don't have this confusion where, you know, half people are uh, are uh well, where people are, it's not confusion, I should say, it's where people are actually going out and like using Killmonger to attack black radicals in real life, right? Like people are saying that, like he's murderous, he's misogynistic, he's this and that, just like the real black radicals are. And I've seen, we've seen those hot takes come out from liberals and like that's a problem. Like even if you're, even if Ryan Coogler is a, you know, a, crypto radical like it's better to leave your radicalism out of your work if you don't have control over it and then just post radical stuff on your twitter page like that that would that would work i mean so ryan coogler uh for those who don't know uh made his big uh, debut on the on the national international stage with fruitvale station uh which was a very powerful and moving movie i i really enjoyed that film a lot um i mean i'm not alone there it won a ton of awards at the sundance film festival and, and elsewhere um and then what he he did creed in the meantime yes, he did, right? he, yeah the, he did creed the most recent in the rocky series um, and some other things. And so, you know, he also collaborates with, you know, that heartthrob Michael B. Jordan. Yes. Uh, all the, all the, the ladies and hell, some of the men, even at this point are thirsty over Michael. Man, I'm straight. Uh, I'm thirsty over I, Michael. I get you, man. I, I feel I, I, the thirst is real. He's a good looking dude. He's built, he's jacked. Uh, he's a hell of an actor persona on, on film is un- unbelievable. But, uh, now that we're talking about Coogler and Jordan, let's talk about Killmonger. Like, one of the things that, uh, in particular, there was a really great piece that came out around the time of your piece in the Boston Review by Russell Bickford. It's called I Have a Problem with Black Panther. And one of the issues he raises is that um, this movie is not kind to black men in an era where we're talking about, you know, black lives mattering. And we're trying to talk about, you know, unarmed black men and the plight of black men. And of course, you know, I don't want to just I'm not trying to like, you know, push in a a certain kind of like racialized meninism or anything wild like that. But, you know, you got to say like Killmonger becomes the uh, uh, repository repository of a lot of fucked up and racist tropes about inner, inner city black men. I mean, every time he comes on film on stage uh, uh, into the picture, I should say through the latter half of the movie, you can hear trap music like playing off in the, in the distance. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, I actually Shit like that. I, That's good music. I enjoy <laughs> yeah. it. I enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, he's got the saggy pants and he's, he's broken and he's irreparably, uh, uh, twisted from his, you know, upbringing and, all these all these tropes are fucked up. What do you make of that character? You know, I I, I still loved Killmonger. I still thought he was great. Like like so like that's I feel like depending on the audience, like that's good or bad, right? So like 
in the in the context too, because you can imagine like a white Killmonger with a similar backstory and similar background. I mean, I think a lot of like even like Star Lord and Guardians of the Galaxy, like he's supposed to be broken. He just deals with it with quips instead of being angry all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, like he's just extra snarky and salty. Yeah, like so so uh, like like it certainly delves into those um, those tropes about black men, but you know sometimes tropes are cool sometimes tropes are fun and enjoyable and so i enjoyed killmonger as kind of this bad ass anti-hero this angry guy who's you know is violent but you know what i like a lot of heroes who are violent so i like i i get that criticism i think if killmonger had if this had been a movie called killmonger about this hero who uh gets wakandans off their ass like a lot of that stuff would be kind of acceptable and we and plus you know it's hard really hard to cheer to look at michael b jordan and not think all right this is that dude like he's i don't care how they dress him how they make him talk what they do he is and he is a movie star like it doesn't matter like he is our this generation's tom cruise you know like he's on that level of uh charisma so he stole the scene every time he was he was on i mean it's almost kind of hard to even pull for Chadwick Boseman in the Black Panther yeah. role because every time he has to share a screen with Michael B. Jordan like he just kind of shrinks yeah. in comparison. You know, like, you know? like Chadwick Boseman, uh, the T'Challa in Civil War was magnetic. He was great in that film. He was, you know, driven. He was a lot more like Killmonger. Driven, violent, <laughs> um, full of rage. Uh, full of rage for the same reasons his dad's dead. Like, and you can, and you can kind of, and like, you know, when you put the, these kind of tropes on black heroes, you're like, there is something else to consider, but there's a lot of white heroes who kind of have the same issues too. So I, 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 I I'm a little, I'm less, um, harsh on it and like in civil war i did enjoy how t'challa was presented but like that t'challa is completely um vague uh, completely missing from this film instead you have killmonger he's the one with the drive he's the one who actually has a goal he wants to accomplish and so i like i i read that uh, that piece and i agree with a lot of the criticisms but i even though like i felt like some of the people who defended the film like yeah all those criticisms are right but i still enjoyed it like so all those criticisms are true but i still loved killmonger like it so it i guess i guess I ha- that, that's that's why you're the host of struggles exactly you can do both yeah you can do both uh, but that's not to say that those tropes aren't there. Oh, no, right? no. And, we, and we, we do have to address them and, and understand it. But I agree with you. I mean, T'Challa in, in, in Black Panther was just overly fragile, introspective and weak in, 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 a, in a serious kind of like in a way that you, you don't really. I mean, look, hey, it's humanizing. We all have those moments uh, weren't you know, so so that, you know. But but I, but I hear you. Yeah. Uh, uh, Killmonger was so a lot of people might say, OK, maybe that's like uh, maybe that's little. uh little resistance uh on the part of kugler or others you know uh writers or, yeah. or whatever else i mean I, I don't know i don't know what do you make of that like, i mean we've, we've already kind of talked yeah about that, like but. again like if you gotta res- like like if you got if you're gonna resist you know you don't resist in a way where you can't win like if all like you know you won't 
resist in a way where you have control, where you have power. If you're Ryan Coogler, you could probably make a black superhero movie if you wanted to. You don't need $200 million to do that, especially when most of that money went to bad looking CGI. Just make a black radical superhero film. Michael, you already made a, uh, Michael. I was going to say, Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan, he'll work for, for you for, for practically nothing at this point. Like they're boys. I mean, they're pretty tight. Uh, I don't, you know, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to go big, uh, Disney to, to pay Jordan. No, no. And some of those other people these days, although they 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 deserve it, but uh, anyway, so I think you know we we this is all this is all really interesting stuff. I'm enjoying it, but 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 now I think uh, you've talked about this on your show. You've written about it. A lot of people have talked about it. So let's 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 try to dig into some of the things I think that are 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 very much underrepresented in the commentariat, uh, you know, amongst the commentariat so far. And I don't know if that's because people haven't thought about it or maybe people aren't as stupid and self-destructive as I am to try to bring it in <laughs> when it comes to this movie. Because just to talk, I mean, I got to tell you, yeah, I'm sitting here, you know, spouting on a microphone with you and, and, and this is going out to tens of thousands of people. Uh, but but I don't have the balls to, to make this critique in 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 my real life yeah you know i'm not gonna go uh in a, in a group of friends you know uh on friday night at the bar or whatever and and and, and talk shit about black panther like i yeah. wouldn't dare do that right? <laughs> you can't like i don't care i'm not this isn't even a racial thing i'm not even talking about because i'm a white dude i mean just in general i don't care if you're the blackest dude in the world, you know, and, and nobody could ever doubt your street credibility. I don't know if Adolph Reed could go out in public and criticize Black Panther without getting like rotten produce thrown at him. Uh, so anyway, it, this is a hot potato, man. It really, really is. But I, but I think it's important and I think it's very much in line with the anti-essentialism series that I've done before. The good folks over at Africa is a country have been publishing, I think, some of the best hot takes aside from yours. And uh, the first one that came out that got me was uh, by two folks, um, Inehi Adoro and Bhakti uh, Shringapur. There's this, uh, it's, it's, it's called straight up, Africa is a country in Wakanda. Yes. <laughs> it opens, it says, Wakanda is not a country in Africa, it is Africa. Uh, what do you make of this, this, this uh, line of critique? You go there a little bit in your piece, so I'm sure you have a lot more to say. So I like I thought this would be the thing that people complained about um, about Black Panther because when when they talk about when Wakanda, so Wakanda is not a real place, right? And it's mostly been conceived of and drawn by white artists who didn't really know anything about Africa and just kind of put the tropes that they knew in it uh, and then you know sci-fied it up right and so i so when people started talking when i saw people talking about you know for the hype for the movie oh i'm gonna dress in african garb i'm gonna dress like this for when black panther comes out i was like uh like are, are we doing that still black folk uh, black people uh because when afro like a couple of years ago afropunk was posting all the pictures of you know you know black kids, black seamsters, black hipsters dressed in quote unquote African garb and stuff at their at their events, and like a lot of people who are Africans uh, from different countries in Africa because there's more than one country, kind of pushed <laughs> back and said like you are wearing that wrong, you are appropriating that, you're appropriating yes. it, and there was a big discussion about like all right, can black people appropriate stuff? Uh, is it possible if we're doing it? How we do? Are we can? Is there a better way to do it? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So there was kind of a controversy about that. 
then you have Disney come along and say, all right, we're going to make, we're going to have a movie called Black Panther and Wakanda is going to be every country in Africa and all their cultures mixed together. Like literally they're like, when you look at all the tribal elders, they're all like representatives of different African forms of dress and culture and style. And I was really surprised that really nobody is talking about how that's, that seems for lack of a better term, a little bit problematic. Well, they are talking about it, but they're celebrating. Yes. You know, they're celebrating. There've been actual like articles who've done research and figured out, okay, what what was this represent? You know, there's the, there's uh, the, the Himba women um, standing alongside uh, some of the other types. I'm trying to find the, the list of people here and the various kind of like anthropological um, stereotypes or whatever that they've sort of mashed up together in, in these in that in those fight scenes and, and the pro- by and, a waterfall. And the, and the weird thing is by doing this, like like so like Africa essentially becomes invisible. It doesn't exist in the Marvel universe. There's just Wakanda and Wakanda has everything that's, you know, worthwhile about Africa except for Boko Haram is in Wakanda. Like that's literally, you see Boko Haram, you see Wakanda and there's nothing else about Africa in this film or I think in any of the, in the Marvel movies. And like that, that just, that just seems like if this, like that's, I'm just shocked that Disney was able to pull this off without having a mounting mountain of think pieces, you know, agitating against them for it. Is is so? But that's exactly what people like. It's the exact opposite. People are just in love with this idea that this idea of like cultural representation. Like what it, what what they're just they take all of these disparate and unique uh, cultures and in, in nations. Uh, and peoples in in the continent of Africa. You've got oh here you go mercy lip plates from Ethiopia, hair woven with Otiji paste uh, in the style of Namibia's Himbo women, kente scarves obviously from Ghana, and Basotho blankets from Lesotho, um, among dozens and dozens of of other uh, stunning anthropological details. Which there's no question there. But this is not an anthropological film. This is a utopian kind of Afrofuturist project. So why is it these authors ask rightly so? Do we not get a utopian, um, you know, alternative narrative about what this this place could be, this Wakanda place? Why instead do we get a mashup of these broadly kind of understood, uh, quote unquote, African cultures? Yeah. So it is uh, that's supposed to represent a kind of universal blackness. Right as a liberatory project, yeah. it's confusing to it's me. It's confusing. It's confusing, and it's a little bit offbeat. I don't want to speak for uh, Africans because I, I I saw some of the responses. A lot of people in certain countries. I saw some South Africans. They were really in, uh, really excited about the movie. I think if you look on Twitter for the video, and I don't expect most you know, for lack of a better term, normies to really be upset about this. But I'm, I'm, it, it bothered me that all the hot take economy was very pro this, like that, that kind of seemed strange to me because I, in so many other contexts, this kind of cultural mashup, um, from a corporate product is frowned upon, uh, generally speaking, like people don't, people like, uh, if you ever put, you know, if you ever take, you know, uh, Chinese culture and Japanese culture and mash it up, like Katy Perry does, she got mocked for it. Um, and rightly, rightly so for in a lot of ways, but it, when it comes to, you know, Africa, we're, we're just so happy to be there that, you know, even represent in this very small way, um, it's, it, we're, we're excited for it. And like, that just bothers me. I think we can demand better. I think 
Africa certainly deserves better. Um, everybody and black people deserve better. And, and what really, and like you just mentioned the term utopia and like that, that gets to another thing that I wish this film could have went to. And it's like, okay, so you do have this country in Africa that's extremely powerful and resist and could resist any uh, colonization. Like, you know, why not say in the Marvel universe, maybe all of much more of Africa is like this. Maybe it's not just one country. Maybe it's the whole continent. Like you could have done something like that where Wakanda was like this, you know, this sprawling, vast, you know, um, pan-African uh, uh, utopian uh, country where all the, it would make sense, cultural sense why you would see so many of these different cultures in Wakanda itself instead of it just being like this one small Dubai like city it could have been the whole uh, continent the whole of the continent like there's nothing uh, stopping Marvel from doing that and presenting Africa in this you know broad beautiful way um, as it should be presented in film which it almost never is but I, I it just seems like a, a missed opportunity to you know. Um, to actually present like Afrofuturism because people use this word a lot when referring to this movie, but like it doesn't really live up to that. I don't think like the most futuristic thing we get is like a skyscraper, like um, <laughs> and some maglev trains, the maglev trains that do what mine uh, precious mineral minerals. I think, I think Africa has uh, enough mining, uh, folks. I don't think that's, I, I hope that's not Afrofuturism. I think that's Afro presentism. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And uh, let's not forget uh, the fact that, uh, you know, what is it? It's like a very kind of like tribal. Uh, uh, I mean, there are kings for fucks. Yeah. Sake. Like- royalty. This is a pre I mean, it's pre capitalist in all the wrong ways. I mean, Marx talks about like liberalism and capitalism and democracy sort of arising together and a sort of like flattening of of the previous kind of like feudal hierarchies and of course that never happened in Wakanda but that that I mean it's so it's good that they don't have like you know rapacious capitalism on one on the one hand but on the other hand uh they they for some reason these filmmakers believe that uh you know Africans and there I go again Wakandans uh, black people don't deserve democracy. Yeah. So what the fuck a, is up with that? So like I, I'm of two minds of this because if I put this in the context of other science, science fiction films, because Star Wars has monarchies too, right? Yeah, so Wonder Woman, yeah, Superman. Yeah. I mean, they're all royalty. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can accept it, but like, it was presented in the film did a really bad job of making this seem cool or interesting in any way. Like the, the, the next king is deserving is determined by, you know, fighting basically, but the fights are like not very good. So it kind of put a damper on that. Like they go in the throne room and it just looks like a, the Jedi council from, uh, um, from the prequel star Wars movies. Like they didn't present, any of this in like a an exciting dynamic sci-fi way and would you say the little technology the laboratory looks like an apple store yeah, is that like, what you said on your no, podcast like somebody, i think t said it, it looked like it looks yeah. like an apple store and it's like it does even the technology is like uh, apple uh, is like a little product placement there if, if you ask me so you could have these kind of regressive you know ideas about africa 
if they were presented in a sufficiently futuristic way and it still be like seem really cool and really fun and okay but like there's nothing about it like that like nobody there's like nobody you know the the, when all the people come out to the waterfall like none of them are floating around none of them have little drones or anything like that like it doesn't look like it should it should have looked like one of the cities in like star wars that would have been the level that they should have taken it to in order to have this kind of monarchist tro- where are the bots yeah where are the little dro- the, the droids and the and the the you know the wearable technology no they're not wearing technology they're wearing like uh, you know, uh, clay pots. You know, yeah. like like you know, like it's an episode, or like it's uh, like it's an issue of National Geographic magazine or something like that. Y- you know? Yeah, like it, like when the guy had the um, the lip clay, like that could have been a screen. Like how dope would that have been? Oh hell yeah! I mean, yeah, you could you could met. Damn, that's good. You could mesh the two, right? I mean, there's no reason to shit on the anthropological heritage, but. But but yeah, I mean, why 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 the literalism when you have a kind of utopian film and a utopian opportunity to take there? So I'm going to cut this off right here. We have so many topics to talk about. We're going to take it over to the B side. We've only just scratched the surface. Uh, I'm glad that we had this conversation. We we covered a lot of basics. We uh, you know we 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 laid down some diss tracks. Uh, maybe some pit, we piss some people off. I don't know who knows, but there's a lot of topics I want to take over to the B side. These are the real hot potatoes, right? Cause we're going to talk about how this film is, you know, maybe against its will or whatever, very clearly an intervention in a long legacy in American politics and black politics around like say separatism and integration. Right. I mean, uh, T'Challa begins this movie, you know, like a like a, a a neoliberal Marcus Garvey or something like that. You know, like it, it, it's a it's a very confused kind of narrative about what black liberation looks like, uh, depending on who you ask throughout history. So I want to kind of lay those things out. And the other topic I want to get back to, or actually not get back to, sort of initiate it's something we haven't even discussed yet, is like where does this film? And you can give us a quick little sixty second take on this for the free side before we take it over to the patrons. Where does this film sit in uh, the kind of political moment that we're having right now with the kind of upsurge in socialist uh, 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 politics and certainly like left wing and progressive politics? You know, Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders got a tremendous amount of votes from young uh, black Americans. Uh, You know, uh, you think about um, Black Lives Matter has a, a lot of multiple trajectories, but a lot of them. Uh, have taken more militantly socialist kind of uh, positions about social provisioning and, ha- and you know enhancing the welfare state, minimum wage, free college, free health care, all those types of things. Eric Garner, rest in peace. You know, uh, very bravely and heroically translated her father's murder into a, a, a broader, uh, uh, you know, socialist political platform. Um, so you know. Where does that political moment sit alongside of this kind of universe that Black Panther now inhabits? The two really do seem kind of incommensurable in a way, don't they? It's a retreat. I mean, the end of the film is, you know, T'Challa becomes Obama. And like, it's a retreat where it's a, let's pretend Trump isn't president and T'Challa is president and he's going to, you know, reform. He's going to open up some community centers and black communities to help out. He's going to, you know, tamp down this, 
you know, radical black. Yeah. Well, I guess this radical element that just wants to go too far. He's going to take the ideas of it and, you know, translate it in a way that's electable. He's going to com- take f- f- uh, face the racists in the U.N. and say, you know what? Um, or the Republicans, I should say, he's going to, you know, face them down and just should be so eloquent and well spoken and, you know, smart and intelligent. And he's just going to uh, beat them that way. He's going to out argue them um, instead of fighting them. Like that, that's basically what what the film what their film ends up is just like Obama's back. And yay, that, that's going to be enough this time. <laughs> I agree with that take. I think it's very problematic. I left the movie very pissed off and and disappointed with the trajectory. Even if it is just an origin story, it was a wasted opportunity. So we're going to wrap the the free side here and we're going to head on over to the B side and get into the real shit here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I think only the patrons can really handle this heat we're about to bring. Uh, go on to www.patreon.com slash dead pundits and subscribe for five bucks a month and you'll get access to this B-side and all the other B-sides. Uh, support Struggle Session. Head on over there, Patreon. Subscribe to them. They've got uh, a discussion, uh, as I said, with Trevor Boyu and uh, Brianna Joy Gray about this movie. Hey, you know, if you didn't like what we said and you didn't like our interpretation of Black Panther and you think we're assholes... Check out Swody podcast, uh, Brianna's podcast. Someone is wrong on the internet. Check her out. Uh, they did an episode on this. I think it came out this week. And uh, so for you know, you'll get an alternate perspective. I don't want anybody to think that we're just giving a kind of one sided view on this. Although I do think we are correct. Yes. Uh, and I think you're going to find out even more so why this narrative is very problematic for a principled socialist revolutionary uh, movement that I think is already well underway in America right now. And I think this is a very destructive diversion in a lot of ways. If this is in a, you know, if, if we're to allow this to be more than just kind of like, Hey, that was a cool two hours. I just spent at the movie theater. Right. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, thank you so much for uh, listening. Check out struggle session, patreon.com slash struggle session. Um, we got, got a lot of good, good content coming. And um, if you like what we're talking about, then you're going to, you're going to love struggle session. For sure. You got to purify that guilt when you, when you, when you intake those uh, cultural uh, those shitty cultural, uh, you know, uh, artifacts. So Leslie, thanks for joining us. We're going to take it over to the B side. Right, thank you. And that wraps up our A side for this week. Thanks again to Leslie Lee, the third of struggle session podcast. You all should check that out. It's very funny and very informative, particularly if you are a gamer comic book nerd or you know, that type of person. I hope that folks like this. Uh, I will undoubtedly receive quite a bit of hate mail for this episode. Uh, You know, don't get me wrong. I I know this movie means a whole lot to a whole lot of people. You know, you can see celebrities like Will Smith from LeBron James uh, to Beyonce gushing about how important this movie is uh, for, you know, representations of Africa and Africans and black folks in America, members of the so-called black diaspora. And I don't doubt that for one second. So don't come at me with those kind of criticisms because I get it. I understand it means a lot to a lot of people. The question is, what is the origin of these feelings and what are the political trajectories of these feelings? Right now, I remember when I was unwoke and I was a teenager during 9-11, I was really, really pissed off. 
uh, at, you know, the Muslim terrorists that, you know, George W. Bush immediately, you know, sort of blamed those attacks on, you know. And so, you know, why am I saying that? What the hell does that have to do with this? What I mean is that meaning and feeling can emerge from a lot of places. But just because you feel something doesn't mean that the political trajectories of that feeling are unproblematic. Uh, so, yeah, if you'll pardon that uh, strange comparison, you know, I'm not doubting that uh, African-Americans and hell, even some white folks and Africans themselves might feel a certain way after, you know, seeing this film. Uh, but the question is, what are the political trajectories there? And we're going to break that down on the B side way more explicitly. We're going to talk about race essentialism and representationalism. Uh, in Hollywood and elsewhere. So head over to patreon.com slash dead pundits and subscribe to the dead pundit society today, support the new left agenda. And uh, you're going to get a lot of bonus content over there. And so for the rest of you, same time, same place next week, dead pundit out. Oh, this you crazy mother.